As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Buffalo Beat. And my, oh, my, do we have plenty to talk about, including the biggest name on the free agent market right now before the actual new league year begins. And he's been on the market for uh, what seems like about a year now with all the stuff we've heard almost every single day. It's walk. It's turned into a uh, a a kind of a a big joke on Twitter, just people trying to interpret everything he says. But J.J. Watt is the toast of the of the NFL free agency right now uh, before we get those big wave of cuts. Um, so welcome in, everyone, to the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscaglia. With me is my co-host, Matthew Fairburn. And Matthew, I am looking forward to the J.J. Watt courting experience being done just because it's it's taken so many different turns, but uh, the Bills are legitimate contenders here from uh, a lot of different reports. Uh, it would make sense from a schematic standpoint, which we'll get into, but there's a lot of different things to consider uh, with him, and it at at its uh, very uh, at its very elementary level, uh, it it's a big name, and it would be a big swing from that perspective for Bean and Company. Yeah, I think it would be, you know, you look at what it would mean. It would cause this ripple effect on the rest of their offseason, but it would also almost be the beginning and end of their free agency period. Um, you can't afford to do a whole lot else other than J.J. Watt. They would also obviously have to clear some money and figure some things out from that standpoint to even get them in here in the first place. Um it sounds like Matt Milano probably won't be back unless they decide to use the franchise tag. So there's there's a lot of ways the puzzle can fit together. But if you decide to put the J.J. Watt size puzzle piece in there, then it limits what else fits and, and what else you can do, or at least um, dictates what the other decisions you can make are. So, you know, 
Diana Rossini of ESPN reported that the best offer he had got was somewhere in the 15 to 16 million dollar a year neighborhood, which I think makes sense. Uh, teams that can afford that number would probably like to take that chance on a guy like JJ Watt. And I don't know that the Bills are going to get into that level of spending on one player uh, this offseason, but JJ Watt's enticing. Uh, you know, I know he's dealt with injuries the last few years, um, you know, doesn't always play 16 games. You know, he's had three injury shortened seasons out of his last five, but when he's healthy, when he's used in a certain way at this stage in his career, he can be still a, a really, really good player. He's not what he once was, you know, NFL defensive player of the year type of you know, production, but in terms of a guy that can impact the game and, and can wreck what an offense does, I think Watt still qualifies if you use him appropriately, maybe occasionally inside a, a tackle. Uh, they didn't have that, that guy last year. So he certainly, from a zoomed out view, looks like he fits the, the program. You know, he's a guy that they would love to have as a leader for once, you know, the Bills are a team that can attract this type of guy who's looking to win uh, at the later stage of his career. That's not a description the Bills fit for the longest time. So it's easy to see why the dots are getting connected, but uh, I don't think the Bills will overextend themselves necessarily uh, financially to make it happen. 15 to $16 million for a guy who is 32 and it has that many injuries is just a non-starter to me anyway. Um, you have to cut Mario Addison. If well, yeah, that. yeah, they're going like, to have to do a lot. You of almost would hits. have to do it. I don't think that's necessarily in the plans either, unless they have to pay that type of money for what. Right. So you, I think what they would need to do, um, and I'd like to get in a little bit later about if, if it's actually a, a good idea or not um, for them, but just in order for them to justify it uh, and get him the role that he that he should have and what is right for him, um, they would essentially need to carve him out roles as probably an early down defensive end uh, and probably, well, it doesn't matter what side you, you put him on, and then on pass rushing down, slide him in inside. Basically, the exact role that they wanted Quentin Jefferson to fulfill last year, but they didn't have uh, Latulale to come back, and he couldn't. Uh, and, and then that forced them to keep Jefferson at defensive tackle all year. That what we saw from Jefferson last year was not the the goal in in itself. So that would be the way to justify it. But then you would also need to. Uh, I mean. Mario Addison and J.J. Uh, Watt at that point would be kind of redundant um, to have both of those guys unless you're planning to play Watt exclusively at defensive tackle. And if he's playing exclusively at, at defensive tackle, then that probably makes a guy like Vernon Butler redundant. And this this all goes before, before saying Quentin Jefferson, they should just release him because he was kind of a flop of a free agent and that Watt would fulfill that role anyway. So I think for Watt to move in, they would have to move two of those three defensive linemen out. Um, that that would make the most sense to me. Otherwise, you're just you're just putting so many cap dollars into your defensive line 
for production that really wasn't there last year. And it would almost be more conducive to them to have um, rotational role snaps go to a guy like Justin Zimmer or Harrison Phillips to find out about him as long as they're limited snaps like they usually are, like 15 to 20, if that, per game, then that's the way to justify that. But uh, but the money is the extreme part here. Like if that guy is going to make 15 to $16 million, that's just, that's too much for, for a while. And, you know, I, over at The Athletic, um, either last week or the week before, I can't remember anymore, um, Ted Wynn, uh, who does a lot of film work for the, for the national stuff uh, over at The Athletic, um, he broke down what Watt is and what Watt isn't. And when, if you go in and check out the article, a Bill-specific J.J. Watt article, um, Ted essentially was saying you can, you can see how the injuries and the age has taken its toll on the guy. And he's just not explosive anymore. He still has the power, but right off the snap, he doesn't have the explosiveness to get the power into the backfield from the defensive end portion, uh, from the defensive end position. And which almost means he would be most effective on the inside at defensive tackle, but therein lies the problem. Like, what role are you having J.J. Watt in? And if he has those limitations as a defensive end and you're going to have to cut another piece just to fit him in there and pay him $15, $16 million on top of it, that it raises a lot of serious questions about what the plan is there. I mean, there's no doubt his, his historic success and how he can wreck a game and everything like that um, in the past in Houston. But is it trying to grasp at his past success when, rather than project what could be in coming years? I think there's a it, for that amount of money per year, um, assuming it's a, only a one or two year deal, that's a humongous risk. And essentially when you have basically one move for this offseason – Maybe two, one or two moves. If you make him that guy, that better be a home run, especially if you're letting a guy like Matt Milano walk out to, to do it. So to me, it's that is a, a, a proposition that brings up a lot of red flags to me that, you know, you, you wouldn't think it with, with a name like J.J. Watt and how dominant he's been his whole career, but the injuries and the lack of explosiveness are real. His age... And going up against Father Time is a very real scenario for every NFL player to ever exist, ever not named Tom Brady. Um, so there's a lot to consider here with J.J. Watt. Yeah, it's not too long ago that J.J. Watt was J.J. Watt, but it can happen kind of quickly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the last couple of years, his production hasn't been at that same level. I thought, you know... The most recent time we saw him in person, he was still that guy, uh, still a guy that you would want, you know, in that playoff game against the Texans. That was, you know, a, a pretty vintage J.J. Watt performance. And I, I do think, I mean, look, I think they should probably cut Quentin Jefferson and probably Vernon Butler, no matter what, uh, just to make the room. Uh, I don't think either one of those guys was particularly special a year ago and the, the savings is significant if the cap had gone up the way it was expected to and you know we didn't have a, a pandemic you know throwing a wrench into everything then 
sure, you know, keep those guys around, but I, I just don't think they're worth it. But I almost think you need to get rid of more than that, or at least, like you said, let guys walk out the door uh, to afford a $15 million player. Now, if it's closer to $10 million, then yeah, that's a different conversation, a, a different risk level. Absolutely. And every dollar does count. Normally, you'd say five or six million dollars. You can find ways to hide it. Maybe there's ways to load the contract with incentives. I mean, the 15 or 16 million dollar number getting thrown out there is a strategic move most of the time. Um, you know, I think that's obviously, you know, trying to drive the price up. But that also just indicates that he wants the price driven up. Uh, you know, I, I think the idea coming into this that he was going to take a, you know, a huge haircut just to play for a contender. You know, I don't know that that's going to happen. We'll see. Um, I, I don't know JJ Watts thinking at the moment. Um, but if he's looking for close to market value, the market's going to demand that because somebody's going to think they can get at least 75% of what Watt was. And that might be good enough if they can keep him healthy and manage his snaps. And that might be true. Uh, if the Bills had a J.J. Watt to rotate in against the Chiefs, maybe it's a, a different game. But I think you have to be careful not ending up in the same spot you were a year ago. Like you said, investing a ton of money and not getting a lot of production. They were they paid more money to their defensive line than any team in football last year, and they didn't get uh, the return on investment. It wasn't a bad group by the end of the year, but it was not one of the best groups in football and age is still an issue. You know, Mario Addison and Jerry Hughes are, are not young. Uh, their days are probably, you know, at performing at the highest level. They've got a few years left at most. Um, and I think Watt falls into that camp as well. And how much do you want to take snaps away from AJ Epinesa? Um, you know, that's another factor in this, I think. Um, potentially taking snaps away from Ed Oliver, um, you know, if you're moving Watt inside on certain packages. So there's a lot of questions to consider. I think at the right price, he's worth a roll of the dice because they do have the window open. And when the window is open, you make moves like that. But the the fact of the matter is they're in a position financially where they're limited in the number of moves that they can make and the number of swings that they can make. So it's not necessarily a question of is JJ Watt worth X amount of dollars. It's a little bit more complicated than that. It's is JJ Watt worth not being able to spend as much to get a veteran tight end or is he worth a, that, you know more than being able to retain uh, an offensive lineman or a linebacker or adding to the offensive line. Uh, so it's an opportunity cost question as much as it is a, you know, straight cap dollars question. Mm -hmm. And look, JJ Watts in a position where he should and can take his time. And he's doing that because the salary cap isn't even set. So that's a, a something that could change the, the calculus for the bills a little bit. If, if the number goes up, then maybe that's one less move that they have to make to make Watt work. And if they can load the contracts contract with incentives and find a way to make the cap number, not as prohibitive, 
then there's a way to make it work. But I don't know that I see too much of a path to making it work without getting rid of Addison. And is that a something they're willing to do? And B to your point, is it that how much is the difference there? You know, what are you, you know, how much better is Watt than Addison right now? So I think he's better. Um, I do think that, but are they willing to do that? Uh, I don't know. Uh, you know, probably not something they envisioned doing when they signed Addison, but they didn't necessarily think the cap would be this low. So there's some questions that still have to get worked out. I'd say, you know, more power to JJ Watt, you know, take your time and enjoy free agency. I think the real deadline here for Watt will come a, when we get a final number on the salary cap and B, as we get closer to free agency, because right now he's basically the only guy out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the attention is on him. Free agency hasn't started. He's having his own little you know, personal free agency party here for a few weeks and probably, you know, not getting the typical treatment, right? You know, not getting to fly around the country and get fancy dinners and get courted in that way, but still getting, you know, uh, all the, uh, the attention and the uh, the love and all the options that are out there for him. Um, I'm sure that's, you know, it's a basically a once in a career type of situation that he's in. So now it's about, you know, when we get closer to free agency and teams are going to start turning their attention elsewhere, you know, they're not going to wait around forever. So I, I think he, he just has to find that sweet spot in his demand and um, it's getting close to the end of that window for him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, I think the you brought up you brought up the Addison versus Watt part, and I think that's a very smart thing to consider here. I mean, Watt as a defensive end probably isn't that grand of an upgrade over Addison at this point in his career. Um, however, Addison was I don't really I mean he was solid, you know just. Just above replacement level, I think, was a way to uh, to describe Addison's season. And that's not good enough for what they need out of their defensive end position. Um, I actually thought Epinesa, in limited reps, uh, provided more juice off the edge than Addison ever did at any point last season. So that, that kind of uh, tells you all you need to know about where Addison is at that point. Um, but Vernon Butler is an interesting one here just because... I don't know that I would do away with him. I actually liked his his season a little bit more than I thought I would have uh, after going back and watching the film and all of those things. I mean, he was playing out of position basically all year. He was playing at one technique, filling in for Starla Tulele, and they signed him to be um, Ed Oliver's backup at, at three technique and you know maybe be a, a pass rush down guy. So I think there's still um, talent there, and he's still right in the prime of his career, former first-round pick. Uh, if if I had to choose one guy to to retain of the three, it would probably be Butler. Um, in addition, if they were to bring in a guy like Watt, so I you know Jefferson, I think just needs to go because Watt makes him redundant, and I think Watt, like I said before, Watt makes Addison redundant because early downs, rundowns, that's that's where he can line up, uh, either at right or left defensive end. But then it all comes down to the money. I mean, there are ways if it's. 15, 16 million dollars to have that cap hit be around 10 next year or maybe even lower. I mean, the way to do that is to have a very low base salary to dump the rest of um, the rest of it in signing bonuses, which is 
not really a contract that Brandon Bean has signed too many of in his time in Buffalo. He also hasn't been up against a massively reduced salary cap ever before, so maybe they make an exception to the rule. But by dumping a majority of the money into a signing bonus, they can prorate it over the two or three years, and that way they can lower the the cap number for that first season. Of course, it makes the cap hits in the following seasons higher than that you would normally see from a bean contract. But uh, all that said, there is a way to maybe make 15, 16 million dollars look like eight, nine or 10 million dollars. So that's that's some food for thought there. Um, And then where does he fit? Like the the idea of Epinesa and does Epinesa lose out on snaps because of this? I don't think he would lose out on a ton of snaps. I don't know that they necessarily want to make him a 65-70% snap guy right away this season. Uh, they want to see what he's all about and if he can eventually become that guy. But I don't I don't know that they view him to be ready for that responsibility just yet. So I think the ideal here would be if they were to sign Watt and cut Jefferson, cut Addison. They have Watt lining up at either left or right defensive end. Probably left defensive end. Um, going up against the right tackle uh, and have Hughes on the right side on early downs. And then when they get into passing downs, they slide Watt inside, play him next to Ed Oliver. Then they bring in Epinesa as a, as a third down pass rushing specialist. So then from, from left to right, you have Hughes, Watt, Oliver, and Epinesa on third downs. I think that would be the ideal scenario if they were to get someone like J.J. Watt. So it's kind of a a hybrid role for Watt. And I mean, there would still be snaps for Epinesa to be had just because Watt can't handle um, that many snaps in a game anymore. You have to be cognizant of his injuries and and how many games he misses at this point in his career and how hard he goes at it uh, every single week and how he really puts his body on the line, how physical he plays, everything like that. So there, there are there is a pathway to Epinesa getting around 50, 45 to 50% of snaps, which is a good amount. But, you know, it, they just have to make sure that they're not, above all else, they need to make sure that they're not chasing ghosts from the past um, like they did with Addison, really. Uh, Addison just wasn't worth it last year. And this would be tacking on five, six million dollars more annually for J.J. Watt who is a better player in his prime, don't get me wrong, than Mario Addison ever was, but it's still a scary proposition nonetheless. I think J.J. Watt would look at a role like you're talking about as a smart one for him. Mm -hmm. And I think the on-field makes sense in that way for both sides. I think he needs a role like that to remain effective. Yeah, definitely. He needs to reinvent himself a little bit to continue to play at that level and definitely needs to manage his snaps. And the Bills have, while not, like I said, one of the best defensive lines in football, they do have depth. You know, they have options to rotate and they lean on that. That's a core philosophy of how they play up front. And I think Watt would fit there. I think he would seemingly fit the style of the locker room the makeup of you know these guys again i don't know jj watt but i think 
anybody who follows football probably feels like they know J.J. Watt a little bit because he's, you know, one of the most covered athletes and, you know, he maintains a pretty public profile. Um, and, you know, he's his brand, his, you know, ethos is about hard work and, you know, process oriented, all those sort of things. Um, seems like a grinder, a leader uh, in the locker room and a guy that I'm sure would fit seamlessly into Sean McDermott's culture, but he also is a big, I mean, he's one of the faces of the NFL. So they haven't really had that level of uh, superstar in their locker room. So it would be interesting from that standpoint, how he views coming to a market like Buffalo, or maybe that fits into what I'm talking about, that, that brand that he has. Um, he's certainly a type of guy that I don't think would dismiss it out of hand um, because, you know, it kind of fits with, with who he is. And then it's a matter of, you know, how much does it make sense money-wise and what are the other competitors out there? Because I do think from a winning standpoint, you know, free agents, veterans that are looking for a chance to win will be looking at the Bills as a team that can help them do that. Uh, they were one of the final four and they have mostly everybody coming back. Of course, there's going to be some what I would consider minor changes, you know, even guys like Matt Milano, Daryl Williams, potentially um, maybe cutting some of those guys on the defensive end. Big picture. Those are all fairly minor. You've got the quarterback coming back. You've got his top receiver coming back. Uh, you've got Cole Beasley coming back, the head coach, the GM, the entire coaching staff, um, you know, minus their assistant linebackers coach coming back. So, in terms of, you know, this two to three year window uh, that they're looking at to compete for a championship that could potentially be extended, but the immediate two to three year window that J.J. Watt is probably looking at um, in terms of what's left in his career, the Bills are, are up there as a team that can win. Now, you know, the Packers have been mentioned. That's they fit the bill of a contender. Uh, the Browns, while, you know, some would say aren't as ready for a Super Bowl as the Bills, I would say are in the same category. Uh, they are a team that went to the playoffs, a team that has a young quarterback, a lot of talent coming back. Uh, they could be next year what the Bills were this year, potentially. They're very much, uh, they're not ruled out on the basis of being a Super Bowl contender. The Titans have been mentioned, another team I think that very much, you know, could be considered a contender. The Steelers, obviously, because of his brother, but I think the Bills are in that mix. Is he going to go, is he going to pick a team based on who has the best chance to win a Super Bowl? I don't think so. I think it's going to be a, a mixture of factors. And I think it's really hard for anybody to say among those teams I just mentioned, who has the best chance to win the Super Bowl. Um, there's always a group of teams every year that has a chance and then things happen during the season and who's hot at the end of the regular season, who's healthy at the right time, who gets the right matchup in the postseason. So I don't think you're, I think if you're trying to pick who has the best chance, if you're JJ Watt, you're probably doing it wrong. You're probably grouping teams into, do they have a chance or do they not? And, you know, that's, that's where the Bills are now a team that does. Um, and they will be looked at that way, not just by J.J. Watt, but by you know anybody else who is considering that as one of their factors uh, when they pick a team. Yeah. Um, and 
I think I I believe I saw um, a tweet from Ed Werder uh, not too long ago in regards to Watt about what his priorities were, and the top two priorities were quarterback and supporting pieces uh, uh, on the team, and then the third factor below one and two was money. So maybe let let's say that fifteen to sixteen million dollar offer. Let's. From a Bills perspective, let's let's uh, let's just see it from a glass half full standpoint. Let's say it was the Jaguars that offered him fifteen, sixteen million dollars. Like JJ Watt is not going to go to the Jaguars. <laughs> it's just it's just not going to happen. So they can throw that money at him, but it doesn't necessarily mean it would be uh, it would be in his best interest to go there, especially at this stage of his career when he's when he's chasing a Super Bowl trophy. So. I think if the Bills come in somewhere around 10 to 13 million, I think is probably the sweet spot. 13 might be a little on the high side to me. Um, if they can come in there, that way they can structure the contract to where it, it makes it conducive to another move in the offseason. Then that's, that's something I can get on board with. Uh, because if you're just flat out subbing in J.J. Watt for Matt Milano... I'm not sure how much better your defense is going to be with AJ Klein on the back end. But if you're subbing in JJ Watt um, for and then also giving yourself a chance to add a tight end with the additional money you're saving with the structure of the contract, then you're helping both sides of the ball. And, you know, maybe they can get by with Klein in in that scenario just because they have a better team rather than just a, a, a flat out sub one in, sub one out scenario. So I like it from that perspective. It's the money and the cap and the contract structure just have to be right on this. I mean, I can't stress that enough because you're adding, this is a chance they would be taking on a 32 year old with a big injury history. And that plays a very physical brand that really sets him up to maybe incur some more injuries that, that other guys that are maybe a little bit more passive or, uh, a little bit more finesse uh, with with their movements don't really encounter on a on a play to play basis. So that's the only hesitation. But if they structure it correctly, you know that that four that I talked about with the on pass rushing downs, that's a great situation to have because Hughes is still good. I mean, he still had a a really good season last year, and he was their best impact player. I think Ed Oliver's second half of the season was really good and, you know, probably one of the best defensively on the team last year. Then you have Epinesa who came on in the second half of the season that will be learning that much more this offseason and fine-tuning his body, maybe putting back on some of the weight that he lost last year uh, to get his body composition more to where the Bills want it to be. And then having Watt paired next to Ed Oliver those two working together are just going to be make each other the the best versions of themselves and you know maybe even bring out these flashes that we've seen from Ed Oliver even more. JJ Watt as a pass rushing defensive tackle is going to be the best argument to make this move happen because the one ideal that the Bills have far and away is that their interior defensive line pressure is the most important along their defensive line. You know, the the end pressure is great, but it's 
fairly inconsistent because it takes longer for for those players to get there. So if you bring in Watt to line up next to Oliver, then that's a problem for the entire interior offensive line to deal with. And it's going to create some opportunities on the inside for one or both of those guys. So that's the best argument to me that you can make, but the money's got to be right. I, I'll just I'll just keep coming back to that because you don't want to find yourself in a situation where you've got a 33-year-old J.J. Watt with a $20 million cap hit in 2022 and he's injured because you can you could really see that coming based on his history and everything like that or maybe a 33-year-old J.J. Watt with a $20 million cap hit and really not a great way to get out of it and his skills declined rapidly in the previous season because of all the injuries. Like that's a, that's the chance. That's the chance that they're taking, but I guess um in a Super Bowl window window you just have to kind of bite the bullet and and take those chances on a on a rookie window contract, I guess. Yeah, it's almost worth it. He could almost not play in the regular season and if he's <laughs> You know what I mean? Like That'd be they, something. He, he could, you know, obviously that wouldn't be the case, but like I think about that playoff game he played and, you know, he could be, he could get injured during the season if he's healthy for the playoffs. You know, I don't think they need, they clearly don't need him or an elite defensive line to win a lot of games because they did that last year. Uh, obviously you're not signing him and benching him for a whole season, but that's more to say like he could play a limited role and they could really manage his snaps and manage his days off and take it extra cautious with any injuries that do pop up provided he's healthy for the playoffs. He's almost worth it at that point because uh, if he is at the level or anything close to the level that he can be at when it matters, that's what the Bills are now playing for. That's what the Bills are now focused on. Uh, I think, you know, getting there is part of the equation. Uh, you know, they're, and they're certainly, look, J.J. Watt is not the type of guy to take his foot off the gas, and the Bills are not the type of team to take their foot off the gas in the regular season, as we saw, um, you know, toward the end of last year. But they'd have to be smart, and they really would, because, uh, they now have to think more big picture and they have to think about what they're getting in January. And, mm -hmm. and I think that's where he is such a matchup problem, uh, potentially in those one game seasons in January, uh, that's a guy you want on your team, uh, especially a guy as hungry for a championship as JJ Watt is. So that's where he's, uh, you know, a dangerous and really enticing addition for all of these teams that are in the mix because, uh, you know, if you can get that type of production when it matters most, he could push you over the top. Um, but if you want him to play the snaps he played a few years ago and get you 20 sacks in the regular season, I just think you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. So it, it there's there's a lot to consider when it comes to this. But, you know, at its core, it's probably a good move for for this coming year. It's just. It needs to be the right situation, and you can't you can't force it and have um, and overextend yourselves to where you're costing yourself on on the rest of your roster. So that's that's and that. it's a risk no matter what, right? It, it, I mean, no matter what number you get him at, 
and what other moves you have to make or can't make because of him, it is a risk because he's dealt with injuries. He's getting up there in age. So you just don't know. But this is a team that is in a position to make those kind of risks in some ways um, because their window's open. Mm-hmm. They're just not in as strong a financial position to make those risks as they were a few years ago. Yeah, that's that's right. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Um, also, and, and you know, you're, you'll be able to find some more stuff about Watt over at uh, theathletic.com, but also over at The Athletic. Um, Matt and I just put together our first mock draft of the offseason, which was a fun experience because, you know, <laughs> I think I think I can speak for both of us because the the season went so late into the year and we're not really used to that (laughs) that you know it was the draft right at the end of january wasn't fresh (laughs) on our mind just because we just got done covering a team that went to the afc championship game but now kind of resetting and and getting there the draft is coming into focus as one of the most important things that the bills have to do and we're not going to give the whole thing away but um and what you'll also find there is uh, not only the picks and our explanations from a Bills perspective uh, from both Matt and I, but also the bar none best draft analysis out there from Dane Brugler about all of these picks and and what they bring as prospects. So you'll want to check that out over at The Athletic. Um, but I think the one, one thing we will give away is – that we both agree strongly about what um, you had them doing with their first pick. And that is going after an offensive tackle here in, in a guy like uh, Liam Eichenberg out of Notre Dame. I mean that to me, offensive line just on a, on a grander scale. And we've touched on this in the off season before that's, that has to be a focal point um, in the draft in particular, just because they need to get some, good young and cheaper talent and that seems like in a especially in an offensive tackle heavy class it seems like a, a home run at 30th overall yeah i think you know tying in the jj watt conversation it is a big puzzle piece and has a domino effect on a lot of their veteran decisions with their own free agents and with other free agents around the league I don't think it dramatically alters what happens in the draft. Yeah, and, me either. And I don't feel, you know, to your point, um, 
at this point in the draft process, this is going to be a weird draft season in general, started by the fact that we're getting a late start because the Bills were a lot better than they normally are. Mm-hmm. And also because the college season was really strange. And there were teams that, you know, played, you know, full schedules. There were teams that didn't. There were players who opted out. So it's a disjointed draft process. We'd usually be at the combine right now. Um, the senior bowl happened. So that's one thing that was slightly normal, but, uh, no combine pro days are going to be a little bit weirder. Uh, so the whole, the bills met with X, Y, and Z doesn't, they're going to meet with everybody because they can do it on a computer. So uh, I think it's, you know, harder to read tea leaves that way. They had to scout differently in the fall. All those things are different, but it's also a little bit different because normally you'd sit there and put one of these together before free agency and think, you know, free agency is going to dramatically alter what happens in the draft, but they feel like two separate silos this season. Um, Mm -hmm. Not completely because I think, you know, Feliciano and Daryl Williams tie into it a little bit, but they have so many core pieces in place that now it's about, you know, organizational, depth and planning and where they are weak in those regards. And you look at, you know, that's the fun part about putting together these seven round mock drafts, obviously guessing who they're going to pick with pick 193 is, uh, you know, it's hard enough to pick who they'll get at 30, uh, let alone 193, but it, it's, come uh, on, you got to nail it. Be, be competitive here. I feel like we, <laughs> I, I don't know. I'd have to go back and look at what, um, you do so many of these that I'm like, I'm sure I hit a few, uh, a few random ones, uh, in those later rounds, but it's, it can be fun to match, you know, types of prospects and play around with different scenarios, different strategies for how to put a draft together. But the reason I say, you know, the JJ Watt stuff doesn't factor in a great deal. And really, you know, I don't know that free agency in general does is because I, I feel pretty strongly about them taking at least one offensive lineman early in this draft. And mm-hmm. I've written a few times about the lack of offensive linemen that they've drafted since Sean McDermott took over in 2017 and even Brandon Bean after that. Deion Dawkins in the second round in 2017, Wyatt Teller in the fifth round in 2018, who's no longer on the team, and then Cody Ford in the second round in 2019. Uh that's, you know, there's not a lot of those rolls of the dice in the middle rounds. There's not, you know, they didn't take a development strategy with the offensive line because Brandon Bean, I don't think, felt they had the time to do it. Uh, you know, he really wanted to get those veterans in there and shore up that group for, for Josh Allen. But with the way this offensive tackle class looks uh, from what I've seen to this point, and the guards, you know, interior linemen, uh, you know, in those first few rounds, I think they take they should take at least one. And mm-hmm. depending on what happens in free agency, maybe you take two. Um, I think it's an interesting idea. And I think getting cheap talent on the offensive line um, would be a real asset for this team. And the fact that they've brought up the running game and the lack of success in the ground game and Brandon Bean made it a point to say that he didn't put all of it or even a good deal of it on Devin Singletary and Zach Moss suggests to me that they want to get stronger up there and want to 
start developing some guys. And they've mm. done that with some later round or, or some undrafted guys, uh, guys that they traded for, Ryan Bates, Ike Bucker. Uh, you know, the those guys certainly factor in, I think, to some degree, but they're all about competition up there. They're all about uh, giving themselves options. And the way to do that now is through the draft. And yeah, I like Liam Eikenberg at 30. Uh, I went with him there because we did the the beat writer wide mock draft and you know that one came out on like tuesday so i'm like i'm not going to go with a completely different pick um uh out of you know just kind of sticking with with the realistic scenario uh because a lot of the other offensive tackles were gone jalen mayfield from michigan was gone um the guy from oklahoma state was gone jenkins Um, yeah a lot of the top names were off the board and so you know eichenberg Look, you're going to look at a lot of big boards this this spring, and they're going to have probably more variance than they normally would because, like I said, there's a lot more of an inexact science with the draft process this year, and it's already an inexact science. So maybe a reach in some ways, but you know anybody in that 20 to 40 range is going to be in play when you get to this stage. And good run blocker, a guy that can you know move move the pile a little bit, uh, tons of experience, should be able to play early, gives them some options. Uh, I like a guy like, I know, you know, the first round running back conversation has been, you know, one that has, you know, already gotten going a little bit on the internet, but not a fan of it myself. Uh, yeah. I just don't know how realistic it is more than anything. I just don't know. I, I mean, when you think about it, from a use of resources standpoint, you'd have spent two third round picks and a first round pick on running back. Mm-hmm. And this is a team that throws the ball a lot. Uh, I don't know that too many people are looking at what happened at running back last season and thinking that Devin Singletary and Zach Moss were, were awful. Not that they shouldn't maybe add some competition in the form of a veteran or or see what Antonio Williams can bring or, you know, whatever. But adding a first rounder, I don't know, maybe you trade back and on day two, you know, take another swing, you know, and just keep at, you know, or maybe in the fourth round, fifth round, adding another running back. But a first round pick is you better give that guy a workload in his rookie contract that warrants it. And that means you're kind of throwing away potential workload for Zach Moss and Devin Singletary. So they didn't commit to the running game last year, nor should they have, because they passed the ball really well. And I think that led to some of their problems when they needed the running game. I don't know that they had a running back problem per se. Now, playmakers on offense, you want to make that argument? Absolutely. Uh, Go get more, you know, go build one of the most dangerous offenses in football. They had, they had it last year. Go make it more dangerous. Um, you know, that's why in the third round I, I gave them a wide receiver because I think adding more speed, adding more more gadgets to the offense, if they have to cut John Brown, uh, Isaiah McKenzie's a free agent, you know, they might lose some of that vertical speed. So go get some of that by all means. Just don't think the value's right with a running back. It's not even, to me, it's not even a... I'm not a hundred percent opposed to a first round running back in general. You know, I know that's a big conversation piece. Um, 
on Twitter or, you know, in, in football media about the lack of value of a first round running back. For the most part, I fall into that camp. Uh, but late in the first round, I can see the merit. I just can't see it when you've already spent two third round picks on guys that have shown some potential. Uh, and you haven't given them the full opportunity to show their full, you know, the, the, the maximum, uh, amount of what they can do. So, yeah, I think the offensive line is a better way to go. Uh, maybe linebacker, cornerback. Um, I could see, you know, those as well, the right receivers out there. Um, most of the commenters on our mock draft said it was perfect, wonderful. Just sign sign them up as usual. Uh, <laughs> nailed every single pick. There were a few people that Give suggested the- running back or tight end um, was kind of the uh, the two holes that people saw in it. But I don't know. Well, now, now you're just giving away the goods here. Well, you know, teasing. Uh, yes. Teasing. We filled some holes. Um, yeah. But yeah, we sure did. I look at, you know, tight end as a position – that we've talked about you want a veteran a little bit more than you want a rookie and going through the same things that you're going through with Knox. So, um, yeah, I view offensive tackle, cornerback, linebacker, maybe receiver as sort of the, the top tier of, of needs for them early in the draft. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah. I think it it is important for them to hit on an offensive tackle, um, it, whether it be in the first or the second round. You know, Cody Ford is a guard. I think we can safely say that now. You know, Brandon Bean didn't really commit to him playing one spot or the other, but that was basically out of flexibility. So, with the depth of the tackle class and probably a starting position being available at offensive tackle um, in this coming year, you know, using utilizing a 30th overall selection on an offensive tackle seems like a pretty logical place to start with their draft. So that to me is good. But the running back conversation, you know, I just, you know, we've seen how Brandon Bean operates and he is not one that just gives up on his young players one or two years into their uh, career, and especially not two years if they show a little bit of ability. And that, in this case, it would be Devin Singletary. They really like Devin Singletary on passing downs. I mean, his ability to pick up blitzes and block for Josh Allen was so underrated all year. That guy was awesome at that. And so what they're essentially setting themselves up to have with Moss and Singletary is, you know, kind of a a complementary skill set here. Singletary, I don't really love him as a between the tackles runner. I think I I don't really love his, his um, breakaway speed either. I mean, his, his big runs are going to be limited just because of his limited athleticism, but on passing downs, you know, he had a couple of drops here or there, but his 
His pass game production went up. Um, he's a great pass protector when when kept inside to block. And so I think he's got a lot of value on third downs. And then Zach Moss, to me, I think people are selling him short. I know you did the, the big feature on him um, uh, this past week, which is a great read. And I and I uh, compel everyone to go check that out because it's it's a it's a really good insight onto Zach Moss. I don't think people are giving him enough credit for how much potential he could have in this offense if they get him a little bit more a little bit better blocking in front uh not only from uh, the offensive line perspective but from tight end too which is something that being brought up. So maybe they get a veteran tight end who's a better blocker than Dawson Knox or Tyler Croft were last year. Maybe they bring in a more powerful um, offensive tackle, young offensive tackle that gives them a better ability to run to the right side than they had last year. Because really, they they did a lot of their damage to the left side and kind of avoided the right side in 2020. So there's a, there's a lot of different elements there. But if Zach Moss gets that, I'll tell you what really came along last year. His vision when he got the ball in his hands at the his first few games it was he w- he was uh, a little bit challenged out there to to find the the right reads and it almost seemed like he was overthinking it rather than just trusting his gut and and seeing it unfold like he was following the play blindly because he missed some pretty big opportunities but as the season progressed Moss was getting very good and and as long as he had the blocking in front of him he, he put together some really nice runs. And what he has that um, Singletary doesn't is he has a bit more explosiveness to exploit those uh, those chances rather than just having a run that could be 25-30 go for 10 or 15 with, with Singletary. So to me, and then on top of that, Moss has the physicality to lower the shoulder and get three to five more yards through a... a player in the secondary or even through a linebacker or defensive lineman like he just does not go down easily that's not his thing so I think people are selling Zach Moss short quite honestly and I think the Bills really value him a lot as an early down runner and I could see a scenario this year where they get their running game back on track and Zach Moss all of a sudden becomes somewhat of a uh uh a mini star in their offense because of how few opportunities he had last year and how poor the blocking was in front of him a lot of times. Yeah, I think he's got quite a bit of potential. One thing he mentioned to me was that he felt as the season went on, he felt a lot more comfortable in the blitz pickup and Oh, for sure. You know, kind of You could see it too on film. Recognizing what was coming and, you know, he took that part really seriously knowing that he was playing in a very pass happy offense and and one that was working in that way. He knew that would be his path to staying on the field more. And he was essentially their, their starting running back for that wildcard game. He he had sort of taken over the backfield or at least the 60 portion of the 60, 40 split. Um, And he looked like he was getting ready to, to, wear down that Colts defense at the end of that game too. And, you know, sort of some blocking miscues and all of a sudden he's got a, you know, messed up ankle and he's getting carted off the field. But I think, you know, he should be good to go fairly soon. He got his, his cast off and uh, about a three month total recovery. So should be ready for the off season stuff. And 
you would think he would be fine. No, you know, structural damage or anything like that. But when they gave him the ball, those games that they wanted to run, you know, it was a lot of Zach Moss. Uh, and I think that's because between the tackles and, you know, the, the way that they try to run the ball, uh, he fits that. So I think he's got, you know, pretty underrated hands. I think they can be somewhat interchangeable parts when you look at, because Zach Moss can play on passing downs uh, because, you know, as he gets better at blitz pickup and, you know, he can catch the ball, it, you know, keeps defenses guessing a little bit more than, you know, the Frank Gore days uh, necessarily. So, yeah, I, that I think my hesitance toward an early round running back has as much to do with Singletary and Moss as it does with um, any of these running backs in the early rounds or the value conversation, anything like that. It's just, are you going to give up on not one, but two third rounders, you know, are you going to all of a sudden have two third rounders and a first rounder invested in one position that really doesn't, you know, that's where I will have the value conversation. You know, it's not just a first rounder. You're talking a one and two threes for a position that probably doesn't warrant it. Um, you know, like I said, you want to do another two or another three, it's a little bit of a different conversation, but I think there are other pressing long-term organizational slash depth needs uh, that they have that are a bigger deal than running back because I think both of those guys have potential if used properly and, and if things improve for them up front. So how about this? Uh, you talked about how he was basically the number one running back in the playoff game before his injury. Starting in week eight, going from week eight to week 16, and I'm not going to count the week 17 game because they ended up giving Antonio Williams 28 snaps in the second half. So that kind of throws that game out of the mix. But from week eight to week 16, there's a there's a span of eight games there. In those eight games, Zach Moss outsnapped Devin Singletary in six of them. The two exceptions were the San Francisco game where Moss fumbled early and they sat him the rest of the way. Otherwise, had he not fumbled, I think he probably would have led the backfield again. But the game after that, he came back and outsnapped Devin Singletary 44-30. to The other game he didn't outsnap Singletary was uh, was the Denver game in Week 15 that Singletary got him 39-34. to But every other game... Every, the New England game, the Seattle game, Arizona, L.A. Chargers, Pittsburgh Steelers, and the second New England game, Zach Moss had more snaps than Devin Singletary. So if you don't think it's trending in that way, then you're ignoring what the Bills were doing at the end of the season. They really like Zach Moss, and I think he's got a lot of potential in this offense. So we'll see if they actually um, if they actually stay true to what I think Brandon Bean's word was, that it wasn't the running back's fault, and I... I kind of doubt they add a running back uh, in the first, I'll say, three rounds. Anything from round five on is fair game for any position at that point. Just find someone that can make the team. But, you know, first three rounds, I think, would kind of be a waste of a resource in, in my mind for what the Bills have going on next year. And, uh, and, and especially with the potential they have already in-house. So we'll see what happens. But uh, Let's as you can tell, they also wanted to trade up for Zach Moss. So mm -hmm. you would almost assume they had a somewhere in a late second, early third round grade on him. Um, and we're not only 
thinking about trading up, but willing to do it, uh, trying to do it, couldn't find a partner to do it. So obviously they, those are resources that they didn't end up spending, but ones that they were willing to spend on this guy who got no off season and, you know, all those things with the pandemic and still, I thought had a pretty promising rookie year. So mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. When you think about what they've invested in that position, uh, you can't remove that context from the conversation of whether they should take a running back in the first round, because, mm-hmm. you know, if you think one of those top backs could be a game changer for them, maybe so, but you know, I would say they think Zach Moss has that, same kind of potential and a year ago so did a lot of fans right you know the new shiny toy is always a thing but uh can't forget what these guys were as prospects and that they're still prospects as they you know navigate the early years of their career yep absolutely so we'll see what uh what ends up happening at running back and the rest of the positions but if you haven't yet checked it out be sure to head over to theathletic.com and check out the uh, the mock draft, the dual mock draft from uh, Matthew Fairburn and myself, and with uh, analysis from the Athletics draft expert Dane Brugler. And if you go to theathletic.com slash the Buffalo Beat right now, you can get uh, a reduced rate offer of three dollars and ninety nine cents a month. So be sure to go get on that if you haven't yet. That's theathletic.com slash the Buffalo Beat for the reduced rate offer. All right, Matthew Fairburn, that'll do it for us for the next couple of weeks. We're about to get into legit free agency mode. Franchise tag comes up uh, on March 9th. So um, we'll probably be talking with you all around that time. And we'll see if the Bills are actually going to let Matt Milano walk. J.J. Watt will probably be decided by then. Uh, so there's there will be a lot to talk about. Uh, but um, but yes, it should be fun regardless because we get to see what, what these guys are thinking. All right, so uh, any fine, final fond words of farewell that don't have anything to do with a certain backup quarterback that, uh, that we... we bring up often here he hasn't been in the news lately so i suppose we can well that's um, good we can pass on on the final omit. word uh segment and omit him here but i'm sure he's now subliminally in everybody's minds anyway so the uh <laughs> the, the task has been completed regardless all right all right so uh thank you everyone for listening to this episode of the buffalo beach by the time we talk next Odds are J.J. Watt will decide where he wanted to play, and we'll see if he is the next member of the Buffalo Bills. It'll be exciting. All right, for Matthew Fairburn, my name is Joe Biscaglia. Thanks, for everyone, for listening to this episode, and we will talk to you next time. See you then.